Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist, and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life, and we're doing it with this episode. This time, I'm talking with a physician from the Pacific Northwest who embarked on a health journey that helped her lose 100 pounds, helped her manage her autistic son through proper supplementation, and helped her change her focus to a functional medicine approach. Dr. Emmy Hosada is my guest, and you'll get to meet her right after this. I see your spring cleaning list right there. And in your spring cleaning list, you have a spring dream list of thinking, I got to get this carpet ripped up. I got a guy who can help, a guy and a girl and a few other people. It's Akles Carpet One, AklesCarpetOne.com. You can go to their website right now. And in Arkansas, people know them because these are the people that beat the big box store prices. Wait, what? <laughs> yes, it's true. Follow my social media, at Lisa Fisher said on Instagram or even my Facebook page because I go out there to one of the stores, usually about once a month, and I show you the inventory. And I'm telling you, this new store on Maumelle Boulevard in technically North Little Rock, it's as nice or as complete as one of the Dallas showrooms. I know that because one of their customers said that. And I know that my designer and I go there. We've done some videos there. We walk through. And if Larry is happy, then everybody should be happy. I'm telling you, the selection is so impressive and the customer service is so good. They will do everything they can to make sure that they get the sale, that you then are happy about it and you're a repeat customer. That's what happens. You become family. And you know, it's the Akel family there. So check them out online. Go see them. Three stores, AkelsCarpetOne.com. The reports are coming in and they are outstanding for Jess's Chicken. The standalone, fast, casual chicken restaurant in Little Rock, Arkansas, on Rodney Parham at Interstate 430, run by the Bubba's family, who brings you David's Burgers, and outstanding food with a really good value. One of the reports I just got from a young mom, her husband, two kids, they went there, and they said for their, it was, I think it was a drive through meal, because you can go and dine in as well, but I remember her saying it was such an affordable option for us, and she goes, we often go, if we're kind of in a rush or don't have a lot of time, whatever, to one of the restaurants that has the golden arches, and she said, this was a better value than the restaurant with the golden arches, and it's really quality ingredients. I know that because I am a shopper there. I, I, I consume. I dine. I dine knowing that there are gluten-free options. I dine there knowing there are dairy-free options. There's no cross-contamination. I also know that the sodas are made not with high-fructose corn syrup. You need to stay away from that as your health coach. I'm just saying that. But they use real cane sugar and there's ice cream at the end if you'd like it. There's mac and cheese. Oh, I say get the chicken sandwich with the mac and cheese. I get the chicken salad. There's a savory and there's one that's more sweet. And my husband and I get both. He really likes the savory and I kind of like the sweet one. But so many options. Great family. Open six days a week. They take Sundays off to worship with their family. Jess's Chicken. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, this is what you do when you've got the experts on with you. You ask all the questions. I love your social media account because you know holds barred. You tell it like it is. <laughs> tell me, you know, it's crazy that I'm asking a medical doctor this, but how did you get involved 
in the health aspect. And, you know, because you would think physicians were about good health, but they're not as much anymore. You have an interest that really probably, I bet, changed the trajectory of your practice. So tell me about it. Sure did. So, you know, I think when you talk to most of us who've gone from, you know, conventional medicine to more holistic medicine, we always have our story. So mine was really, my son was the catalyst for getting me into it. And then, of course, it changed my own health, too. But um, my youngest is on the autism spectrum. And so we had taken him everywhere you can imagine. And we were really, it took a long time to get a diagnosis that he was on the autism spectrum. And then finally, when we did get that diagnosis, we were told there's not a lot we can do for you. We can give you a medication to calm him down and you can take him to some therapy, some occupational therapy. So the occupational therapy was a humongous disaster because he would roll on the floor and scream uh, when he went to occupational therapy. And the medication that they wanted to give him was something that uh, you have to do an EKG for on a six-year-old because it can cause arrhythmias. <laughs> and so I just thought, no, I, I need to look for other ways of doing something with this. So Because I asked, you know, is this going to change his neurologic uh, trajectory? And they said, no, he's always going to be like this and this might calm him down. So I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. So I started reading and I first started him on fish oil, first on one brand that didn't really do much. And then I went to a physician brand and it really like immediately calmed him down within a few days of taking this fish oil. And I'm not saying this is the cure-all for autism. Yeah. This is just what worked for my son. Yeah. And then I just happened to get um, invited to this meeting with the Dan Doctors of Autism. And I don't know why they heard about me. I think they heard about me because I was looking for nutrition reps that had fish oil <laughs> that I could use, um, you know, from, from physician branded companies. And so they invited me to this and I was like, wow, you know, they're treating this with diet. So I just immediately, um, you know, I had had muscle aches and joint pain, could barely get out of bed. I was basically struggling to work, uh, even though I had uh, my private practice and I was handling like the ICU of a small town kind of by myself in my early 30s. But I was struggling to get out of bed in the mornings. And I had a friend who was a naturopath who was like, you know, you should really get off wheat and dairy and quit drinking so much coffee and Diet Coke. And I was like, I don't have time for that. I have to keep going all the time. Well, because of my son, I did all those changes because he had to go on this diet. And lo and behold, you know, he got a lot better. He also started like an antioxidant that a friend of mine who's an orthopedic surgeon who was giving it to his kids told me like, try this for his allergies because everything we gave him medwise for his allergies made him worse. And he basically went, you know, from three months, not in three months from not recognizing letters to reading uh, recipes because he's really into food wow. and he makes beautiful food now as a 20, you know, three year old. Um, so, you know, the, the change in his health from all these lifestyle interventions really convinced me. And plus, when I went on his diet, I quit having all the muscle aches all the time that, you know, kept me down all the time. And I didn't have to drink like, you know, three espressos and 12 Diet Cokes to keep myself going all day. Um, and so I was like, wow, you know, there's really something to this, you know, medicine. And it wasn't that I didn't have respect for holistic medicine because I come from a long line of doctors. My ancestors were, you know, Jewish doctors who had practiced for thousands of years in the Middle East. Um, even they were even like physicians to the Persian court and they didn't have like, you know, Merck or Pfizer or any of these drug companies right. there. They were just using holistic medicine and they were these religious minorities who survived in the Persian empire because of their knowledge. So I had some respect for that, but it was like, this really brought it home to me. Like you can really change someone's trajectory with lifestyle. Um, and that's why I started taking a look at my own health because I was a hundred pounds overweight 
And, you know, nothing in the conventional world was helping me. So, yeah, that's where it all started. So was that, you said he's 23 now, so about 16 <laughs> years ago or so, let's say yeah, 2005 or yeah. 6. Um, yeah. Did people think you were crazy? Because you were an early adopter to kind of what now that, this is one thing I like about social media. It can, it can <laughs> change your life in a good way. It can also yeah. weight you down in a bad way, right? Sure. Because it's divisive, it's a lie and all that. But when people are here to tell the truth about what happened in their lives, then we can embrace it. But you were talking about this, Dr. Emmy, before kind of anybody else was. So, yeah, it was the early 2000s back oh, then. Okay, so, so you, you know. know, now we run to the internet or somebody's Instagram account. What were you looking up? So I started looking at basic science studies, um, looking at like fish oil and, and uh, expectant moms. And right before I got pregnant, I actually went on this diet from one of these national diet companies and they were using Olestra and all these like Ugh. horrible kind of uh, fake fats yes. that, you know, rob you of your omega-3. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, you know, uh, I probably just robbed my child of omega-3s while I was pregnant. This is crazy. And my first child was like, you know, a genius, like six going on 20. And he had been born while I was doing a missionary year in Japan. And I was eating like, you know, fatty fish every day from like Hokkaido. It was before the nuclear disasters. So everything was very yeah. clean. And, you know, I just kind of took a look at that. And I was like, yeah, you know, these are my two kids. And look at how differently things turned out um, with my lifestyle. Um, and people, you know, do these crazy things to try to lose weight, unfortunately. And that was the crazy thing I had done before yeah. I got pregnant. So I looked at the basic science studies and I looked at, you know, this antioxidant that my friend recommended. And I was like, wow, you know, they're using this antioxidant in Europe, uh, with kids on the autism spectrum. And there were studies on it and everything. And, and it was never presented to me, you know, as, you know, changes lifestyle or try supplements or anything like that when we were taking them from doctor to doctor to doctor. So, so that's where I went. I went to basic science. Um, and my attitude was like, if it's not harmful, I'm going to try it. So that was kind of, if it had safety studies, I was going to try it. What does he have to do now to maintain good health for him? Still stay between the white lines and not have this or not yeah. have that? Okay, good. And that's the great thing about people on the autism spectrum. They don't have trouble staying within the white right. lines. So, yeah, so he basically, you know, still follows a diet. I really encourage him to actually have a cooking channel for other kids on the autism spectrum because he's so amazing. Like his presentations are out of this world I crazy. Love that. Beautiful. And he's like, no, mom, I'm, I'm a fisheries biologist. That's, that's what I'm doing. Oh, okay. So, uh, but it, but he's an amazing cook. He takes all his supplements still very religiously. When he's home, he actually makes my supplement piles for me. Oh, to I love it. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's it's been a, a huge health transformation for our entire family. Um, but, you know, he was really the catalyst because if it hadn't been for him, I probably would have just kept going, you know, how I was. Now, how did you feel about being an overweight physician? Did, did you feel like... You know, I, I'm not a good representation of good health. Or did you think everybody's fat because we're all eating donuts um, <laughs> from the break room that the Pfizer rep dropped off the beautiful lunch and blah, blah, blah. You know, did you justify it? And it was the Pfizer rep. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, they're going to come after me, I'm sure. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it was, I think if you've watched my videos, you've kind of seen me tell the story. But, you know, I was 100 pounds overweight and I was trying to do lifestyle things because I had changed my lifestyle and I felt a lot better, but I was still horrendously overweight, like 100 pounds overweight. And, um, you know, so I had a patient that turned to me and said, you know, you're like 100 pounds overweight and you're giving me lifestyle advice. She was a diabetic and I was haranguing her about. Ouch. You know, 
that she said something to you. She did. She was one of those smart aleck people. But you I know, love she was her. Right. You didn't have to take a look at what she was yep. saying. I'm like, hey, you know, she's right. Um, and I didn't have any solutions at the time because there were none. Like no. I'd even seen doctors that dealt with obesity and, you know, they were like, oh, go on metformin. Well, it made me deathly ill. Like it didn't really help me at all. Um, and I was pre-diabetic. It was scary because like, you know, to be a diabetic, your blood sugar fasting has to be 126. Mine was 124. Um, you know, I had a hemoglobin A1C or three month sugar test of 5.8. So five year risk of full blown diabetes at 80% with that. My insulin resistance score was through the roof. I think it was 67 at the time. What was your fasting insulin or did you know it then? Uh, it was 18. Your yeah. fasting insulin was 18. Oh, yeah. Ah, okay. So everything was, everything yeah. was, you know, on, on that proposed path right. of diabetes. They have a very strong family history of that. So I could just see it. I was working in the ICU admitting diabetic patients who'd had limbs chopped off or on dialysis. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what's in my history. So I started starving myself, like eating 1200 calories a day, right. pushing myself up a mountain, like, you know, basically uh, four days a week. We have little mountains where I live in Enumclaw, Washington. So there's this place called Mount Peak, which is a steep, you know, one mile climb. And I started doing that. And I, I lost like a total of five pounds, you know, right. it's just like very discouraging. Right. I know. I was there. I, I, I got you. Yeah. And so what did, who, then who lifted the blinders for you to make, to understand that insulin, though we have to have it, can be our enemy sometimes, you know, you know, two-edged sword or whatever they call it. Um, yeah. What, what was it then that you started realizing calories in, calories out is not sustainable, yeah, and the thing is, you know, a lot of people starve on these diets, and I feel so sorry for them because they're getting this wrong advice. And, you know, the fact is that your metabolism will slow down oh, to sure. meet this calories in, calories out, or all these dumb diets we followed from the 70s yeah. would have worked for all of us, mm -hmm. right? So um, the same friend of mine who's an orthopedic surgeon who gave me the antioxidant for my son started doing weight loss classes. He has a master's in public health as well as being an orthopedic surgeon. So he's very, you know, wow. different. Yeah. He started doing weight loss classes because he knew that for every, you know, pound that you lose, you take four pounds off your joints. And he just yeah. thought, like, if I can oh. get these people to lose some weight and actual fat weight before they go through surgery and build some muscle, then my surgical outcomes are going to be so much better than everyone else's. And he was so right. Um, and he was able to get people to do like partial knee replacements because now they were thin enough that that wasn't going to like pop out of their knee. Um, and so he started doing this class. And as part of this class, um, they had like a supplement that had CLA and chromium in it. And it's a chromium that I don't particularly like. It's chromium piclinate, which can be hard on the kidneys. I, I happen to not have any kidney damage, but a lot of people by the time they're as close to diabetes right. as I do. But, mm -hmm. but it was eye-opening because when I took the supplement... I like didn't have sugar cravings anymore and I was happy not eating a, a whole lot and I could eat, you know, the right diet. And the diet was also a low glycemic diet. So it didn't count calories at all. It was just concentrating on, you know, is this food going to spike your blood sugar or not? Um, and all of a sudden, like, you know, I lost down from 235 pounds to 150 pounds. Um, and you know, when the, the rep came in with the donuts, I kicked her out of my office, which normally I've been like, give me the donuts, I want right. to eat them, I can't stop. Um, and, um, you know, and then go back to like 1200 calories the next day after I'd messed up, you know, once a month that badly. But, you know, when she came, I was like, you know, I have like people with diabetes and pre-diabetes in my office and I really don't want these in my office. I want to be a good example. Good for <laughs> you. Good but it was you. the supplement that really helped that. So I was like, wow, yeah. you know, I couldn't tolerate metformin, but I can tolerate 
um, the supplement. Uh, and since then, of course, there's a lot better that's come out, and I understand a lot more about herbs and things for for you know helping people um, you know maintain stable blood sugar. But at the time, it was like, wow, you know, something does help that, and, and that was really. And then the other supplement I took was one that really helped, like your adrenal, so it you know helped to boost. Um, you know, DHEA production so that you didn't spike cortisol quite so much. Um, so that was the other one I took and I was still massively under stress. Like I was, uh -huh. you know, somebody in their 30s still, you know, largely working in this small community hospital by myself, kind of straight out of residency. And, um, you know, so it, that also really helped. And I was like, wow, there's something to this cortisol picture. And I, and that also brought home to me that there's probably more than one thing that, you know, is really getting most people to not be able to lose weight. Um, were you practicing emergency room medicine or were you in a family? No, practice? so I had a private practice internal medicine. Okay. I was kind of moving more towards diet and lifestyle, but I hadn't had functional medicine training at the mm -hmm. time. But I also had been brought to this town by the small community hospital that had a small ICU. And I had a lot of ICU training. Most of the other docs in town did not. So if somebody like ended up really crashing and they couldn't, our town, you know, when it snows and, and ice is sometimes, uh, we're like south of Seattle near the mountains, people can't get out of town because all the roads are closed and it can be a storm and you can't like help, you know, back people out of there. And so if somebody ended up like, critical, then I had to go in, like, no matter what time or what was going on, right. I always had, like, uh, you know, a vehicle that could get through the snow and stuff. And so, um, it, you know, that was kind of my life. And if somebody was really ill uh, and came to the hospital, even if they had another doc, they would kind of call me and say, like, hey, you know, it was before the hospitalists took over in right. the hospital. So right. doctors were mm -hmm. admitting their own patients back then in the early 2000s. Um, did you yeah. give yourself permission to to grieve the dream of your son's diagnosis, though I know it may not have hampered him, but for a mom who is as driven as you are, that had the first son that was reading Latin by the time he was four, yeah. you know, we forget, and you know this, and I know this, but, you know, I'm 100 years old, so I know it, but the cortisol that we push out from the highs and lows of life affect us from our chin to our toes. And we wonder then, you know, the, the mom who's a friend of mine, whose husband dropped dead, she wonders why she gained 20 pounds after that. She goes, I promise you, I wasn't sitting around eating. I said, I believe you. Yeah. You know, it's, so do you think part of that weight gain was also during the time you were getting adjusted with him and what was going, because it's, it's a transition for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I really feel for moms. And that's why I mostly actually work with people in menopause, because I think I almost have like PTSD about that mom phase, because you really can't live for yourself. Um, you know, and I have a bimodal story, like I actually gained most of this weight back being an ICU doc at night, because I then took a job as a night ICU doc. Mm. Um, and that was near menopause. So I actually had to like, that's when I actually figured out like nutrigenomics and hormonal triggers and all that, because it wasn't like your 30s where you just go on a couple supplements and your weight drops. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really feel for moms because they really can't live for themselves. And I remember like just staying up late at night so I could just do something that I wanted to do. Um, which, you know, now in my fifties with grown kids, I can like do what I want. Uh, but back then I, I really couldn't, you know, and I had like college bills that were going to come and, yeah. and all that. So you have all those stressors of being a mom, not only raising them, but planning for their futures, which, you know, that's kind of the nice thing about being our age is now you can kind of live for yourself a little bit. So I'll yeah. tell you, if you have gotten 
to the empty nesting phase. (laughs) My husband said the other day, 35 years for us, so we've been married, um, and he said the fun thing about empty nesting is it's like dating, but you have money. Because remember, we were dating. You had to go where there was the two-for-one special at Pizza Hut. Exactly. Right. And now yeah. we get to hop in the car and do what we want and have that flexibility, which is a sweet exactly. time. It's a reward for the hard work of raising those kids, of staying married, of, you know, they're just they're just hard times for moms. That's all. I mean, we're... Yeah. We're, and I mean, we're lucky because you and I have long-lasting marriages but you know part of what i'm dealing with with the people that i work with is they're actually on the market at our age and um so so we have to kind of get things to where they can feel good about that that's right well and also people who are married that's the other thing we want to encourage them to stay in order to stay married you're gonna have have that fire in their marriage and be able to sustain you know that intimacy and all yes Definitely. Um, well, let's talk one thing about um, what you eat, because I also have uh, Jewish roots. My father was a Russian Jew. And so is it, are both your parents Jewish? No. So my mom is actually from a tribe in the Middle East called the Lors. Oh, <laughs> so wow. They're more, they're kind of like Native Americans of Persia. So they predated the actual Persians and they... Wow. Uh, were kind of pushed more and more into their little area. And um, so um, they look very different. They look sort of Scandinavian almost. My really? Yeah, and they, um, they're horse people and nomadic herders, and they have a, a very warrior-like culture, and women are, are equal in their tribe. So like when they compete so cool. uh, for who's the best warrior, the best competition is actually amongst the women. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting tribe, yeah. I but love my dad's, it. My well, dad's okay, so let's talk about then food preferences. Do you mm-hmm. do they root in your Middle Eastern roots? I mean, are are they? Do you feel like you're? You know what I mean? Like, do you think, gosh, I would take a falafel right now, or some hummus, or tabbouleh? You know, I would. Yeah. Or do you I mean, crave more like? You know, I try to eat more of a carnivore diet, and I miss some of my Jewish root. You know what russian jewish foods that i go oh i want some borscht soup so is is that normal for us to love what our ancestors ate yeah and i mean i think there's some good in the ancestral diet so for my mom's people i mean they were basically nomadic herders and so i actually do super well with lamb and and, yeah, and all those kinds of meats as yep. long as they're grass-fed organic yeah but i do um so persians eat a little bit differently than the rest of the middle east so mm-hmm. they, we don't the same as like Lebanon and Israel and Syria where they have like the falafel and the hummus mm-hmm. and stuff are mm-hmm. foods a little bit different it's more like mild Indian food oh, I guess okay. it's more yeah. herbal mm-hmm. uh, but it's stews and rice um, so I've kind of adopted the stew part of the Persian diet but not the rice part I can't really do the rice part and if I do rice I'll do wild rice once in a while um, but yeah I, I do think there's something genetic in the way that we you know mm-hmm. eat and, and are can eat. And I know for me, for instance, um, the first time I started having dairy allergies is when I left home because my mom always made organic yogurt. She's a nutritionist. She knew about, you know, organic. She had organic milk. She would make her own yogurt at home. And the only dairy that I ate growing up pretty much was her organic yogurt. And then lo and behold, I go to college, start, you know, all American yogurts basically, except for one, which is uh, white mountain 
all of them have added non-fat milk solids. So you're not really getting a fermented product anymore. Uh -huh. So the first time I actually started having dairy allergies is when I ate what most people eat, normal dairy. Um, and so, you know, I do believe in some ancestral components of the diet and the nutrigenomics actually has proven that to me over and over again, um, that, you know, we're all different in what we should eat. We can't all eat the same diet. Right. So, I totally yeah. agree with that. And I see that here mm -hmm. in my own home with, um, children in and out and preferences and diets and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering then were you, your, her yogurt I wonder if she used goat milk or anything non-traditional then. So she used organic Jersey cow milk, which is, you know, the A2. Yes. Um, that's what she was using. So, which is closer to like goat and sheep than, yeah. than the Holstein cows that we now all yeah, eat. Yeah, less inflammatory for sure. Less inflammatory, right. And that's why a lot of people, you know, when they come from other countries, they all of a sudden have dairy allergies because they're switching from Jersey cows to Holstein sort of thing. Um, um, and is your thyroid a working member of your body? No, well, it's better. Okay. Um, so um, I started to have Hashimoto's kind of right when I gained the weight the second time. Huh. And that's when I really had to take a look because my normal thyroid testing looked normal. And I was, you know, hearing about Hashimoto's. I had an endocrinologist in my area that was like treating it. And I started reading more and more about Hashimoto's and how your thyroid gland doesn't really work. So at that time, I wasn't fully functional medicine, but I knew like people who have Hashimoto's or thyroid doesn't really work. So I ran the antibody. It was really high. Um, my TSH was, you know, like 3.5 or 3.8 or something like that. And, you know, I was like, well, it's, it's not working well. Um, I was reading about menstruating women and how the TSH of 2.5 is really what endocrinologists want. But they've sort of come to this agreement that they're going to accept a TSH up to four because they don't want to have everybody be on thyroid medication. But why not if it makes us feel better? I've never understood that <laughs> philosophy. That'll the put it in the water. It's based on like world public health norms and, you know, trying to not overburden healthcare systems, I guess that's kind of, but it doesn't really serve the individual. I mean, if you're that individual, and I think it's sort of short-sighted because if you're hypothyroid and your cholesterol goes up and you gain weight, then what kind of a burden are you going to be on the healthcare system then, you know? Thank you. That is the <laughs> best way to argue that. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of how they've argued it as well. We don't see a big difference, you know, in, in public health numbers if we treat under four. So we're just going to agree that's where it's going to be. But there's a lot of evidence at 2.5 for women, you know, perimenopause, menopause, early menopause and menstruating. But that's really where TSH should be, which is inversely proportional. It's high when your thyroid is actually low. Right. So bringing that number down actually means we're treating you at, you know, an earlier stage of thyroid. So I looked at that and I was like, you know, I should really go on thyroid. Well, I went on Synthroid and I did horribly. <laughs> but then I learned more about thyroid again. And I checked T3 and I was like, oh, my T3 is really terrible. Um, so then I started taking something with T3 in it. But as time went on, I really learned more and more about functional medicine. I learned how much an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's can be related to your gut health and general inflammation. I learned that, you know, if you're not making T3, a lot of times it's because inflammation is going on in your body or your liver's not working properly and you're not able to convert T4 to T3. So now I do take a minimal amount of thyroid because of all those years I had undiagnosed mm -hmm. Hashimoto's and burned out my mm -hmm. thyroid. So For sure. It's not possible to reverse everyone, but I think if you catch people early, 
it is reversible. And there's a lot of doctors who are very conventional going on TikTok and Instagram saying, well, it's never reversible. And, th and that's not true. We're all individuals. And for some people, if you catch it early, it's reversible. And even Hashimoto's, and sometimes it just resolves on its own, you know, in 10% of people because it's brought on by a virus and their body like handles that and they do okay. For me, I think I had gone years and years before I actually was clueful to it. And so I still am on a small amount of thyroid, but much less, right. much less. I've, you know, done things to help, you know, reduce my estrogen burden, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, really help to, because if your estrogens are high, you can't really convert T4, the kind of thyroid your thyroid makes, to T3, the kind of thyroid that your body uses. So, you know, reducing that extra estrogen burden, making sure that I'm not bringing, you know, xenoestrogens from the environment into my body and all that have really helped me. Um, and the article that some people have seen on uh, First for Women magazine that kind of talked about this in, in my journey, you know, that's kind of where, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like for some people it can be reversible if it's caught early enough. Yeah. Um, my story is that's what got me interested in health was um, about 20 years ago, I was constipated, cold, hair was falling out. A loss of eyebrows, vitiligo. Now my vitiligo was small, but that's usually a component, as we know, hand in hand Absolutely. with um, right. But I couldn't get anyone to listen to me because they said, "Well, your TSH is three point eight. You're fine." Pat me on the leg, and finally, yeah. I did have an endocrinologist with whom I broke up because he wouldn't let me take a complete thyroid replacement. And by then, I'd done my PhD analysis. I mean, dissertation. You know, I'd done all the studying. And yeah. he just kept me on Synthroid, which I call a Tic Tac. But my antibodies were at one time 2,400. And now, since I've been eating carnivore and I've been intermittent fasting for six years, they are 38. So I look like I've reversed the autoimmune side of mine. But like you, my little gland died during all those years of being beat to hell by itself. So I, And so I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't care because, you know... I'm not on a drug. I'm on a replacement hormone. Yeah. So what? If, if that's the only thing I take, so what? Yeah. So, you know. I'm interested too because I recently signed up for MediShare because I quit yeah. working as an ICU doc. Oh, and good. I lost my insurance. Good. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually don't count hypothyroidism as a, as a disease. They kind of let you, you know, get tested and get on thyroid hormone of your choice. And I thought that was very interesting. I love that. Yeah, so. I wonder, I feel that way also about my bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Sure. I, I feel like I'm not on a drug. You know, yeah. I'm on, I, I, I don't. So, I mean, I don't go anywhere where I fill out a piece of paper. But if I did, I always think, if I'm ever questioned, I don't feel like I'm on a drug. I, I don't take drugs. I take, you know, hormone replacement therapy in order to be upright. If you want me to up, be upright and delightful, you better give me my estradiol pellet, my... Here, here's my testosterone, transdermal, and my progesterone every night. And I sleep beautifully. 19 pages. That's right. 19 pages of data is what I got from my Dutch test results. That's the dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. I got the test here in Arkansas, but you can get it anywhere you're listening right now. Because guess what? They can ship it to you. It's compounding at cornerstone.com is the website. And those of you in central Arkansas know about Cornerstone Pharmacy. This is uh, the three-story building at Rodney Parham and Cantrell Road. For those in Arkansas, the rest, it doesn't matter geographically where it is. You can find out what your hormones are doing right now. And I call compounding at cornerstone.com 
the hormone headquarters of Arkansas because they have the team there who can help kind of ascertain those 19 pages. And Allison Ingram hit it out of the park when she sat down with me and we went through everything. I found out some things I really needed to know, and I only would have found them through the Dutch test. I will say that the saliva test is a little less expensive if you want to go that route, but Y'all, here's the deal. You get 20% off with Lisa at checkout, no matter where you're listening. Even if you go in in Little Rock, walk up and say, I'm buying these tests. Lisa at checkout, you get 20% off compounding at cornerstone.com. Hey, friends, just a quick little interruption as you're learning on the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. And that is you can learn more. You can learn more about intermittent fasting if you go to my website, lisafishersaid.com slash academy, I just dropped an online course to take you through kind of A to Z of intermittent fasting. Even if you've done it in the past or you're not really, don't feel like you have your PhD in it, this is a great way to access the knowledge that I've learned because everything I present to you is scientific. That's right. You can start learning about fasting and in 28 days, you can master the course and be on your way to a life free of many of the conditions that we talk about when you're metabolically unfit. Link is in the show notes, but it's lisafishersaid.com slash academy. So yeah. w- let's talk about um, this. Gosh, this is I see it every time on TikTok, um, everywhere I go, every social media platform. Perlmutter talked about it today in uh, his post. And it's the peptides and the weight loss with Ozempic and semaglutide. What is your feeling about it? Oh, well, you're I mean, sighing. It works for some people, and it is a very quick fix. Yes. And but... I have patients who see these people, and they're yes. kind of like, oh, you know, they look so great. And my yes. question is, like, did you pull up their shirt and look at their abs? <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, the thing is that when you lose weight, you want to be able to lose it in a way that actually leaves you with a beautiful physique. And when you lose weight too quickly, you're not going to have a beautiful physique because you're going to just have hanging chads everywhere if you're anywhere <laughs> over 35. Yes, one. hanging chads, yes. Um, and number two, you want to fix the problems that have gotten you to where you are. So if you are counting on a medication for you know getting you to your weight, what's going to happen the minute you stop that medication, that very expensive medication? You know, there it goes. Um, and so it's a double-edged sword because it's hard to watch people struggle, but on the other hand, uh, you know, there are, there is no free lunch. And so, you know, for me, the second time that I lost weight, it really took months of cleaning up my gut, my diet, and this time it was permanent and it gave me a physique that, you know, I can, some of you who've seen my videos, I mean, I wear like my... You know, I show my six-pack abs and stuff. Well, I wouldn't have that had I lost weight a different way, okay. uh, which, which wasn't like cleaning up my diet or, um, you know, getting my gut health to where it should have been or taking the right vitamins for my genetics. I mean, those things take time. It's not going to be the 10, 20-pound weight loss in a month, but it's going to be something that gives you like long-lasting dividends in your health. Um and it's going to be different than, um, you know, just taking a drug that's going to drop weight really quickly. Um, the other thing that has to go along with whatever you do from a 
from a biochemical standpoint is the exercise. You know, you have to find the right exercise for you. You know, are you an ACDD genotype? Are you a person that needs to really do a lot of reps and not a lot of weight? Or are you an ACE-I where you're going to have trouble building muscle and you need heavier weights? So that's the other component of it that the, you know, the people that just use, um, you know, medications are silent on because to have the body that you want, you're going to have to, you know, do things to build muscle. I mean, that's, that's what gives you the sculpted look that you would want for most people. Well, so. plus we know as we age, especially women, we've got to be in the gym pumping yeah. iron. I mean, we have to be for testosterone, yeah. a lot of things. Uh, the one thing um, I'm concerned about as a lay person in this whole semaglutide, because as a health coach, people come to me all the time. Lisa, you know, I, I can get this and da-da-da. And it's their choice. You know, I obviously don't give medical advice. I just have them walk through. I walk with them through it. But Dr. Fung says, and this is one of my, I have a lot of things that I quote from him, but one of my favorites is that we're hormonally wired to eat and to stop eating. And so if the somaclotide or ozempic doesn't cure the leptin resistance and the, you know, he talks about the cholecystokinin and the peptide YY and these other satiety hormones that are a part of our brain, you know, that tell us you're full then I don't know. I think it's going to be the Fen Fen of 2022 or 2023, which yeah, Fen Fen was, was a big bust. And, and speaking about Fen Fen, I mean, a lot of people go on these drugs without really understanding the possible side effects. So there's a possible side effect of pancreatitis. You oh, know, shoot. You're not supposed to give it to people who have a family history of um, endocrine cancers, for instance. Oh. Why is that? You know? Um, and so there's, um, there are, you know, a lot of things about these drugs that people don't know and maybe is or is not disclosed to them at the time that they get it. The way the drug also works, one of the ways it works is it actually slows down. It effectively gives you kind of a gastroparesis where your stomach doesn't go forward. Ooh, like motility um, almost? Right. Because that's how you feel full and nauseated. Oh. So... You know, there's many, many sides to these drugs that I think people don't think about when they're just like, oh, well, I've seen my friend take this drug and they've lost all this weight, you know. Talk you know, to my thing would be, you know, have you seen your friend naked? Right. And, That's good. You know, have you thought about these drugs? That's an odd question to ask somebody, but you do you. Um, you, <laughs> I have three or four friends with gastroparesis because to me, I, I mean, it got to be all of a sudden I started seeing more people with it coincidentally they'd had their gallbladders removed and maybe a vagus nervous clipped i don't know but you talk to someone with gastroparesis they will tell you run as fast as you can to not have symptoms their fullness is so uncomfortable they say and the nausea and they'll they vomit too and so but if you i've heard now that you're saying it ozempic and those drugs do have a nausea vomiting side effect right yeah, I mean the gastroparesis isn't permanent. It stops when you stop the drug. Oh, okay, right? okay. But still, just that works. feeling. Right. Yeah, it's not. It's not pleasant. Yeah, it's what we do for beauty. I mean, we all say <laughs> that, and you know, we're living it. So, what do you do every day then to maintain your svelte vigor and your figure and your six pack abs? So um, I do a few things. One is that I, I do do a strength workout um, 90 minutes, three to four days a week. That's a lot. Um, yeah. But I, it, for me, that's what I like love to do. I love to have that sculpted 
figure and it's not something that comes naturally to me. I have the ACTN3 gene, which makes it very hard to build muscle. Um, you know, I have ACTD, which makes it easy to build muscle. So I have the two kind of fighting each other. Um, and how did you find these things out? So I do nutrigenomic testing on everyone that I help. Oh, with okay. Um, and that is one of the things, like I actually match up their labs, their nutrigenomics and try to figure out what's going on. So like if okay. their estrogen is high, I'm not just going to say, well, I'm just going to give you something to lower estrogen. I'm going to look at like, is your estrogen high because you're intaking a lot of xenoestrogens from the environment? Is it high because you have the COMT gene and you don't have a cellular way of clearing estrogen? Or is it high because your liver enzymes, your CYP, CA12 and your CYP, a17. Okay, you're that. just showing off now. I'm totally lost <laughs> on A's and B's and C. Yeah, so these are all liver enzymes <laughs> okay. that have different genetic, you know, what, um, what we call alleles or different yeah. genetic mm -hmm. um, components for different people. So some people's enzymes work really well and clear estrogen quick, and other people's don't really clear estrogen at all. <laughs> And so, um, but why you're not clearing estrogen or why your estrogen is high really has a lot to do with how successful we are in bringing your estrogen down, um, you know, depending on what treatment we're using. So we can give you all the liver clearance in the world, but if your problem is COMT and your liver is actually clearing estrogen, that's really not going to help you. So you knew these things in order for you to go to the gym to know what was best for you, even at the gym. Even at the gym, even when it came to food. For instance, if you have COMT is an enzyme carboxyomethyltransferase, it clears um, your fight or flight hormones, estrogen, cortisol, oh. Oh. Um, and is a general detoxification enzyme in your cells. Now, there's three kinds of variants of this. There's the people that have the fast, fast, people that have the slow, slow, and then people that have one gene of each that are kind of in between. The in-betweens are actually best because um, they can clear things, but they don't clear dopamine really quickly. Um, those of us who are super clear dopamine very quickly. So when you clear dopamine really quickly, uh, what happens is you um, actually um, are more tempted. You're more likely to be like a person who gambles, a person who eats out of turn, a person who craves alcohol, mm -hmm. drugs, etc. Mm -hmm. So the fast COMT people, that's really more their problem when it comes to weight. They're clearing their estrogens and their cortisol fine, but it's that other issue that they have. The people in the middle clear some estrogen, clear some cortisol, but they also don't get rid of dopamine really quickly. So they're actually best off. And then there's the slow, slow, which are having lots of cortisol hang around, lots of fight or flight hormones hang around. They're very anxious um, and they don't get rid of estrogen. So, you know, knowing these three types is really important because it also has a lot to do with which B vitamins you will do well with. Like if you're a slow COMT, you can overmethylate and actually get more anxious. You can overmethylate the enzyme. There's things that slow down this enzyme, like green tea is super for me with the super fast COMT enzyme. But if you have a slow COMT enzyme, it'll slow down your enzyme even more and make you anxious. Oh my word. Right. So what you should eat and drink and do for your exercise, all genetic. All genetic. So do yeah. you have siblings? I do. Do um, they similar in, you know, what they've battled or maybe their similarity. weight issues or things? Yeah, some similarities. I mean, we had really different upbringings. So, um, you know, 
when I was little, they kind of gave people like grains really early. And with my two youngest sisters, my mom was already a nutritionist and she'd read this old nutritionist, Adele Davis, who I think was like psychic or had traveled to the future because oh. all of her recommendations were so amazing. But she was like, don't give kids grains before they're one. And my two younger sisters have never had the same like kind of weight issues as we did. And I think that was kind of the difference for them. But, um, you know, the three oldest ones of us have, my sister in the middle, not as much. She was like always a yoga instructor and stuff, but she was a gym rat. And I remember telling her like, I'm ACD and you probably are too. You should quit lifting. And sure enough, she started looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and she had to like cut back on her weights. And then when I tested her, like, yeah, she was the ACD. So, um, so it's really, you know, they, I mean, they're not everything because there's always environmental factors and that's why we check your, your hormones and all your regular labs and your gut health and all of that and put it together with your genetics. But a lot of this stuff is genetically determined and even whether or not intermittent fasting is going to be a good idea for you or not is genetic. So that's really interesting because I do once in a while and I, it baffles me. And now I know what I can do. I can have them come talk to you is the person that says, Lisa, but I've been fasting and it's just not working or it doesn't, it's not a good fit for me or just some other yeah. things. And I always, I'm all, I don't know what to say or do after that. Cause the one thing that life has taught me as I've aged is I don't judge people because I've not walked in their shoes. You know, I've never, I don't think when I see someone overweight, well, la lazy or you need to work out. No, some of the heaviest people I know work out all the time. They mm -hmm. do all the right things, but something's not working. So I've never understood. So you're just saying it, DNA has so much to do with that. The, yeah, I mean, the drug companies are getting into the act. They've gotten wise to this because there are, leptin receptor gene defects that they now have a medication for. They actually came to my office and they're like, do you know anything about nutrigenomics? I'm like, well, I've only been teaching it to other docs for 10 years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you aware of the leptin receptors genes? And I'm like, yes. You know? And of course I've been using like all these natural things, but now they actually have a drug for it, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, people. But how are they going to find out though? They're not going to, they want to sell the drug. They don't, care if you get tested or not so they're just going to give you the drug without getting tested no so they'll pay for your test now because your insurance companies will only cover it if you find this gene but they're only testing for leptin they're not testing for like all the other stuff like what exercise you should do or should no but that's a huge one i mean literally it can be because it yeah. can be the very the, the genesis of a lot of people's problems. That's why Dr. Fung, it goes back to, we're hormonally wired to eat and to stop eating. Yes. And if you're, so my, that's the one thing that I can say that intermittent fasting has done for me. My satiety hormones work beautifully. That I'll be in the middle of the meal thinking this is so good. And I put my fork down and I go, I'm done. Like, I, yeah, you, it's going to have to wait till tomorrow. It's going to have to wait till tomorrow. And that, it, yeah. Whether it's a cocktail or a dessert, I really can't eat anymore. And, and so see, I, I never had that feeling until I had my insulin resistance under control. The first time I was able to put down my fork, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not me. Like, yeah. I can't actually put down my fork. So before I had to just pile, you know, things that I could eat on my plate to try to keep to 1,200 calories. But now, you know, I, I don't have to do that. But yeah, I, I totally relate to that. And, you know, it's amazing that intermittent fasting has worked for you because that's that's awesome yeah um, but not yeah. for everybody i understand now but i had a patient the other day um who 
basically told me like she intermittently fasts three days at a time and she's 100 pounds overweight like I was. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the panacea for everyone, but for 85% of people, it's actually genetically a good idea to intermittently fast. Yeah. About 82 to 85% of people. Right, well, our ancestors weren't dining six times a day. That's true. <laughs> and one of my, and you probably might not have even heard of this one, so all of my autoimmune conditions that I've reversed all of them, my vitiligo I'm working on, but that's cosmetic. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't bother me. But yeah. there's this rare one that I have called achalasia. It's, it's a motility disorder as well. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, no, sometimes doctors will go, no, I've never heard of that one. Go to your GI doc for that. But <laughs> I say all this because when, um, so I've had it for about 20 years. Now he's now taking me off the achalasia. I'm not in the sorority anymore. He said, you don't even have it because he did another test to see motility and stuff. But in the very beginning, when I started improving, I'd been intermittent fasting then for about three years. And I was going back for, because I'd have to have an upper GI like every year or two. And he told me my, uh, he's an advanced clinician. He said, you have the best achalasia case I've ever seen. And I said, why do you think that is? And he was, he was not in the fan club for intermittent fasting. He didn't know much about it. He said, all I can think of is that your fasting has um, given your digestion a break. And he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, we were like this. We were never designed to digest all day. He goes, our sure. esophagus was never. And so mine is more of an esophageal thing, as you know, as you understand. But other people going, what's going on? My food would get stuck and my lower esophageal sphincter didn't open because it has to relax for the food to go through. So it kind of is a first cousin of gastroparesis, but it's not as bad. Like it's not as uncomfortable. But now that I've reversed it, I really do think for me, that's why for me it's worked so well, is that my body works better if I just eat and whatever the hours are for that day, maybe four hours, maybe two hours, maybe, you know, I, I don't. I, what I do for me is go by my satiety hormones. When I'm full, then the fork goes down. You know, what I think is so impressive, though, Lisa, is achalasia is actually associated with some pretty scary autoimmune conditions. So if you reverse that, I mean, that is amazing. They're some of the hardest ones to reverse. So. He said yeah. um, scleroderma is one of them. There, exactly. There's some other things, right? So yeah. he told me this summer... It, and the interesting thing about him is my husband works in the GI field as a, he was a rep. He's now vice president for Olympus, the camera company. Mm -hmm. And right. they're in there doing upper GIs and colonoscopies all day, every day. So Absolutely. we've gotten to know this physician. And he said he came and had dinner with us. And then if, uh, sometime later, he did the upper GI and the colonoscopy. He said, the reason I redid the manometry on you, which is this horrible test they have to do where they put a tiny nose, a tube through your nose and measure the pressure as you swallow. Yeah. And it is not comfortable, right? Uh, but he said, <laughs> the reason he redid it, because he said, when I had dinner with you, I noticed you didn't struggle. You, He said, and he goes, I thought, she's not a typical achalasia patient. And I've been his patient for about eight or 10 years. I've had it for 20 something. And he said, he goes, I'm just going to test you again. And that's when he said, you don't fall under the clinical definition anymore for the diagnosis. And he, you know, he just said, good on you. He said, I don't ever see that, but good on you. So that's where I, I do attribute intermittent fasting. I say change my life. Absolutely. Be yeah. Because achalasia 
when y'all, when I was in the throes of it, it was uncomfortable. I mean, it's a, and this isn't about me, so it doesn't matter, but that's how fasting has changed my life. So those are some of the benefits of it, but I understand that it, it's very possible it wouldn't work for everybody. Um, that's amazing. I mean, it's a, it's one of the hardest, you know, immune conditions to reverse. So that's just, is it, it, he said, I might like, I hope they do a story on me. You know, I hope they got, hope people they magazine comes and <laughs> yeah. I'll have, I have a blowout that day. You know, I've read, it's because I, and I do love to champion things like that to tell people this, you can revert. Now, not all things, and I'm not making a blanket statement, but that's why I'm working so hard now eating carnivore because there's some, and I don't know if it's scientific or not, it may be anecdotal. People are saying they've repigmented their skin through eating a meat-based diet. We'll see. Again, mine's it, it's superficial. It's cosmetic. It doesn't matter, but it, I'm like, while I'm up and I'm reversing all these others, I'll try to reverse that. Yeah, I'd love to know how that works for you. Um, on your social media, some other things that you talk about. I have a, I'm in love with magnesium now. Magnesium is something else that I have incorporated in my diet and in my life. And it, I sleep better at night. I poop when I can't need to. You know, I relax when I can. Tell me. Why aren't we talking more about magnesium? I know you do on your socials, but why why aren't more people talking about this? I mean, we're not educated about these things really in medical school as much. We're only, you know, we're taught about magnesium for a really scary arrhythmia called torsades, where we push it when someone, you know, dies of this particular arrhythmia from low magnesium, but we're not really taught about it in the daily, you know, and I remember seeing so many people now back when I was training that had muscle spasms, headaches, um, you know, sugar cravings, et cetera, and had all of these things in one person. And I think yeah, they were low on magnesium and like 80% of Americans are actually low in magnesium. It's not in most of our water supplies. Um, because we have to filter our water, actually we're removing more magnesium when we do that. Um, so it, it is really kind of an important thing and what a lot of people don't understand also is that there's all these different kinds of magnesium that do different things. So, you know, if you're taking magnesium citrate or uh, magnesium oxide thinking you're going to absorb a lot of it, you're not. That's really more for constipation or kidney stones. Whereas, you know, if you're taking magnesium uh, glycinate or malleate, um, that's more for your muscles um, or for like um, basically like your mood uh, and relaxation and sleep, and same with magnesium L-threonate. Magnesium L-threonate is just kind of a more robust form like the magnesium malate and glycinate that get, gets absorbed, but it absorbs even more, and it even uh, crosses the blood-brain barrier more and actually gets into muscles more. So I kind of step-grade that because malate and glycinate are pretty affordable, and L-threonate's kind of yeah. expensive, so I usually try the first. And genetically, there's some people that actually do better on the malate and, and uh, l and um, glycinate, I have a friend who has MS and she can only sleep on that. The L3 and 8 didn't really work for her. So everyone's a little bit different, uh, but those are the three that really work more if you're you know, trying to uh, relax more, sleep more, get your muscles to relax, um, you know, get rid of those tension uh, type uh, bands you know, across your head, um, you know, all that kind of thing. Those three types of magnesium are the ones that you wanna look for. Now, I'm a bi-optimizers fan, and so that one has seven different types of magnesium, but it doesn't have three and eight. So do you think it's important? 
Are you are you saying that everyone does need a three and eight? No, I'm saying three and eight is reserved for people that have like really okay. serious okay. issues with their mood or can't sleep at all on okay. like the more affordable magnesiums. So I usually start with, with glycinate and malleate chelate for most people because it's very affordable. Okay. Like you can get a six month supply for, I don't know, 40 bucks or something. And then, um, then I move to the three and eight, which is probably 40 bucks a month. Uh-huh. Um, if like the, the cheaper one doesn't really work. So, okay. Yeah, um, so what it, and in the supplement pile, if someone doesn't do the genetic testing, well, let's say we all need magnesium. Mm-hmm. Now there are other things we're missing from our diets because they're low in potassium salt, you know, just typical iodides. It's interesting yeah. because it's been shown that iodized salt actually causes more thyroid problems than it solves. I know. I was just reading a review about this um, from two endocrinologists in Greece that had looked at this. And I think the reason for that is because your your thyroid doesn't like to get like inundated with a bunch of iodine. It likes okay. to slowly get iodine. So when I replete iodine in people, I actually give them kelp uh, because it's a slow release form of iodine. Okay. And um, so I, I do, I'm not a big fan of people using iodized salt because, like I said, the studies show that's actually bad. Yeah. Um, and I have I've seen health practitioners say like, yeah, just take iodized salt and you won't have iodine deficiency. And it's like, well, maybe you won't have iodine deficiency, but the studies show that you're actually going to suppress thyroid hormone production more. So um, so that slow release kind of uh, iodine from kelp, I found in my practice works a lot better. Uh, most people are really deficient in vitamin D3 and they have to take that with K2 because K2 actually makes sure that vitamin D gets utilized properly in your body, that it doesn't cause, um, you know, bone spurs and, and extra calcium, but the calcium and doesn't have calcium go in your arteries. It takes the calcium to your bones. Um, so I think those are main, the main ones. B vitamins are tricky because B12 and folate, you actually need to know your genetics to know what kind will work for you. Right. Whether you have MTHFR or mm-hmm. MTRR, which would mean you would need methyl or on top of that, if you have COMT, you're going to need like the hydroxyl or adenosyl form because you can overmethylate and make yourself more anxious. So, you know, that's where knowing the genetics is really important is in those two vitamins, B12 and folate. And then how much of vitamins you need is, is kind of genetically determined too. So some people need more vitamin D because they have vitamin D receptor defects or some people have trouble converting uh, vitamin D25OH to the 125 form, mm-hmm. et cetera. So when I do genetic testing, I know about all that. So I know like, okay, you have the vitamin D receptor, so you really need to run your vitamin D at a certain level versus somebody who doesn't. Fascinating, so. all this information that you have. I, I wish, I mean... Every doctor were, were like you. I mean, the, we had people who were educated on not just a, with a prescription pad, but more of, let's tweak that. I mean, you, you, you're you living it. I mean, you, you were probably a victim of the, you know, Western medicine philosophy, <laughs> and there you were overweight. And overweight and with a kid rolling on the floor screaming. <laughs> yeah, okay. So. That's my enough. life was vastly different. Right, but. right. And you feel great and you look great, your hair shiny and all the things, you know, that mean good health. So good health yeah. works. And I see you do have some sunshine there. Um that's my I big do. thing. It's an unusual day in Seattle. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. So you're so far north, you probably don't get any vitamin D at all from the sun because the Earth's axis and northern hemisphere, right? 
Yeah, most of us around here are pretty low on vitamin D, even people who work outside. So our sun is not that strong. Um, okay. And then, you know, a lot of people don't have vitamin D precursors. So they're like, well, I'm in the sun all the time. And I'm like, well, unless you're eating fatty fish, you're not going to have a lot of the precursor seaweed. You're not going to have a lot of the precursors. So, um, you know, that's the other thing people don't know is it's not just the sun conversion. You have to have a precursor. So. so what do you, like, what is your vitamin D level living so far north? So I take a lot of vitamin D. Okay. I take um, about 5,000 units a day, and mm -hmm. I used to take more. Mm -hmm. When I initially checked my vitamin D level, you know, when I first started doing nutrition, it was like 17, and now it's, you know, 60. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I'm at 55 now. I work hard. And some of that, too, I have two redheaded children. with One's blue-eyed, one's green-eyed, and theirs is higher than mine with my green eyes, black hair. So it, yeah, coloring mm -hmm. has something to do with that too, right? Definitely does. Yeah. So those of us who, you know, came from areas where the sun was strong, yeah. I mean, we have, you know, basically melanin that protects us, Yeah. but it also does not allow us to get as much vitamin D. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, the, the trade-off was, you know, for those of us who are Mediterranean anyway, we were eating a lot of fatty fish. So we don't do that anymore. That's but. interesting. That is so, oh, I got to think about that. Okay. I love to think about these things. Great job today. Um, I'll post, of course, all the things people need to know about you um, on, in the show notes, but you are a treasure to people who see you and people who get to see your social media. So Emmy -E is um, her Instagram account, but I'll put all that. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.